Hey John Spencer here, just calling up to reassure you that you are indeed one of the old grognards. And not any old grognard, you're up there with the best of them, a real curmudgeon. And don't you go forgetting it, okay mate? Look after yourself, take care. <laughs> We heard from Spencer, a.k.a. Free Thrall, of the Keep Off the Borderlands podcast there. And it's good to know, Spencer, that my inner grumpy old man is coming through loud and clear. So thank you very much for leaving me that message. It really did make me chuckle. And it looks like we have a voicemail from Darren Green, a.k.a. Arfed. So take it away. Arfed here, just calling in about your one-shot episode. Um, I tend to agree with you. I'm not the biggest fan of one-shots. Um, it's good to try out new systems, obviously. Um, at conventions, I think it's the only alternative. So at a convention, I'm in that mood, uh, in that mindset, happy to play them. Um, when it comes to one-shots, I would prefer to have pre-gen characters um, purely because when I make up characters, I do try and think a little bit about them and I start imagining their background a little bit and how they might play out in the future and I get into them a little bit and if it's a one shot, I feel quite disappointed when I'm not going to get to play them again. I don't like repeating characters, so I don't like to make the same character again. So um, yeah, it, it all seems a bit of a shame I've used up one of my good ideas. But anyway, thanks for the episode and keep up the good work. Thanks very much there, Arfed. And yeah, I think you're right. I think one-shots can be a great deal of fun, but I think they are somewhat of a different animal compared to campaign play. And I'm sure that's not exactly a revelation to anyone who's listening, but I know you get a lot of people saying that they really prefer campaigns or they prefer one-shots. And I think I tend to lean more towards the campaign play myself. However, there are times when, as you say, Playing in a long-running campaign isn't possible. After all, a campaign game brings its own challenges, scheduling, getting a regular slot, the extra planning that goes into it, and stuff like that. And it's not always possible to do that. So I think one-shots can be really great for, you know, if you've not got time to do that, or as you say, you're at a convention. Now, personally, I don't mind creating a character for a one-shot if it's something like D&D or BX or something like that, where I know the system and I can gen up a character relatively quickly, particularly if it's something along the lines of Barrow Maze, like an OSR game or something like that, where you can create a character without any real fuss and just jump straight in. Because like yourself, certainly as it sounds from your voice man, forgive me if I'm putting words into your mouth, I tend to invest more into my characters if I'm doing campaign play because I know I'm going to be exploring those characters more and I'll have a chance to get around to exploring their foibles and their little quirks of personality. I don't really have to get that all out in the space of one session. Whereas if I'm going for a one shot, I tend to just create like an immediate hook for my character. So I'm like, the grumpy dwarf or I'm the drunken samurai 
or something like that. Just an instant hook that allows me to get straight into the character because after all, I'm only going to be playing them for one session. So anything you want to get out about that character has to be done pretty quickly and with no fuss or muss. So thank you very much for that call in, Arfad. And it looks as though my fellow Purple Worm co-host, Pete Jones, also has something to say about campaigns and one-shots. So take it away, Pete. Hi, John. Just listening to your one-shot versus campaign episode. Yeah, um, I think campaigns get you more invested in the character, but I think what one-shots are really good for is trying a new system out or a new setting out you haven't tried before. Quite often you don't know if you're going to like it, but with a one-shot you can try it out, and then if you do like it, then you can invest further. The other thing with um, campaigns, I think, is not everybody's got the uh, the time to do the um, several weeks at a regular time. I know I work uh, shifts and do on call, so committing to a, a long-term campaign is not something I can do. However, I found that a good compromise is like a, a three or four episodic um, mini campaign. So you commit to three or four episodes um, or three or four sessions, and that is a bit of a sweet spot. Um, and then you can move on. So that's just my thoughts. Cheers, Johnny boy. Thanks very much. That was Pete of the Dragons Are Real podcast and one of my fellow co-hosts on the Purple Worm Anchor group cast. I also had the pleasure of GMing for Pete at a small local con recently. I talked about in a, a previous episode where I ran Barrow Megs using the 5th edition starter set and very much enjoyed that. I think Pete makes a good point about another potential use for one-shots. They're great for sort of dipping your toe in the water and trying out settings, rules, uh, campaign types that you maybe haven't tried before. Because after all, if you commit to a long-running campaign for a system or whatever that you're not familiar with, then you find that a few sessions in that oh, it's not really for you for whatever reason. And I've done this myself. It feels a bit, it feels a bit sort of bad to have to pull out and go, look, I'm sorry, I, I really just don't like enjoy this campaign setting or this set of rules or whatever. Whereas with a one shot, if I'm playing in a one shot and I decide maybe it's not for me, at most you're sacrificing a few hours. And even if it's not a system for me, I'll play through the rest of the one shot and go, right, maybe that's one I don't want to get involved in in the future. So it's a nice, like I say, dipping your toe in the water and just doing a, a little sort of test to see whether you like it or not. So I think that's a very good point there, Pete. Thank you very much for calling in. And next up, it looks like we have a voicemail from Barry. So take it away. Hey John, it's Barry here from the Shot of the GM podcast. Just wanted to call in because I heard your message you left on the Dragons Are Real podcast about the Prince Valiant game talking about how they don't call them games masters. And I want to call you out on something you said about the, the World of Darkness system that, you know, it's not an RPG. It's a storytelling game, man. Like it says, you know, it's about stories and about life. And life isn't a game you know it's a desperate struggle against things that wear down your humanity in the hope that you make it through somehow intact although most of the time you just don't so you know don't say it's a game man anyway i'm gonna go off now and finish my character backstory because i don't think it's quite edgy enough <laughs> laters 
Thanks very much for leaving that message, Barry. And I've got to admit, I was one of those people who went through that phase in the 90s where I was all about the angsty World of Darkness games. Every PC and NPC wore a long leather trench coat. They all rode motorcycles, had access to semi-automatic weaponry, and preferred the cool steel of their katana for dispatching their enemies. And I'm still quite a fan of the World of Darkness games. I'm starting up a Vampire 5th Edition game in the next month or so. Really looking forward to that. Although I like to think I take the games a little bit less seriously now. But yeah, I was one of those people who went through that phase where like everything was ultra serious and angsty. And it was all about talking about losing your humanity and giving in to the beast. And the game's still about that, but I like to think it's a bit more sort of tongue-in-cheek and a bit more, there's a bit more humour to my games now than there was back then. But thank you very much for sending that message in, Barry. I really enjoyed listening to that. And it looks like we have a message from a regular caller now. It's Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. So without further ado, let's see what Jason's got to say. Hey, John, Jason here, Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Just listened to your con review. Glad you had a great time. Glad it went well. Glad you're out there introducing RPGs to new people. All great stuff. Glad you got to hook up with the other Anchorites. So my question is, and I know I'm being a negative Nelly here, but you're a big guy, so you can take it. Is it really 5e that you're running? So, you know, if we strip out the things we don't like in 5e, is it fair to still call it 5e? Because it comes back to somebody who was talking, I forget who it was now, one of the anchorites, that, you know, they'd run 5e and then they wanted to strip things out of it and the players wouldn't have anything of it. Maybe it was Shandy Andy, but, you know, they wanted to strip out things and the players wanted everything or nothing. And so, well, I'll come up to a minute. Don't worry, I know as Barry, over the shadow of the GM, has pointed out, you know, you're allowed to change, make house rules and take things away and do all that kind of thing. I, and I'm not saying you do anything wrong at all. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm just throwing this out for debate, kind of. But if, if you throw out a house rule game, you know, no death saves, no feats, is it still really that game compared to just the, the rules written game? I don't know. Or is it John's 5e, right? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with John's 5e. I would quite enjoy that. But, but I wonder if, you know, once we house rule and strip something down, is it fair to really say, you, you know, oh, yeah, I like the system and I've run the system compared to the, the system rules as written? You know, how, well, I'll leave you one further message. So my example to that would be Rollmaster, right? A lot of us have played Rollmaster back in the day, and I bet most of us didn't play it correctly. Che might have. But I bet most of us, and some people might have, but I know a lot of us really stripped out a lot of stuff in Rollmaster. We really simplified it, and we played a really stripped-down version, but we mainly used a lot of the crit and fumble charts, right? But were we really playing Rollmaster? No, not really. So is it fair to say we were? Does that kind of make sense? Again, I'm not hating on 5e here at all, and I'm not putting you down or saying you did anything wrong. I'm just throwing out the discussion. If we strip a game down, do, is it still really that game, that edition? And I, I don't know. 
And and if this is all weird, then don't publish it. You know, I'm just curious. Talk to you later. Thanks very much, Jason. I think you do make an interesting point there. How much of a game can you actually strip out and still claim that it's the same game? Now, most role players are familiar with the idea of house ruling or adding little bits and pieces into a game. But how much can you actually sort of strip out of the game and still claim it to be the same game? And to be honest, I don't really have a definitive answer to you. I think this is possibly a wider topic. I'd love to hear other people out there discussing that. And I may sort of do a deeper dive into this in a future episode. But for, for my money, just off the top of my head at the moment, I would say that I think as long as you have the the core mechanics there, then you can still claim that it's pretty much the same game. Now, I've got to confess that I sort of cheated a little bit when it came to the local convention that I was running at because I didn't sort of push that up there when I was talking to people and say, yes, I'm running a fifth edition. What I sort of advertised it as was I'm running Dungeons and Dragons using the Baramaze book. Now, I did use the D&D 5th edition starter set for that, but all I really took out of it was the death save. And I added in a couple of little house rules. But like I said, the death saves were really the only thing I took out of it. In terms of feats, yes, I didn't use those, but that's an optional system in D&D anyway. So I don't think sort of not using an optional system lessens the game to any great degree. And... To, to echo what Colin from Spikepin and one of my fellow co-hosts on the Purple Worm podcast said, I think if you strip D&D down to its most basics, the additions actually have a lot in common. And so not wishing to like how many people crying like, heresy, how can you say that? I think as long as you keep like the, the recognizable stats, the saving throws, under the core rules of D&D, you can still call it Dungeons and & Dragons. And to be honest, I refer to a lot of the OSR retro clones I play as just Dungeons & Dragons, rather than whatever their specific name is. So for me, sort of Lamentations of the Flame Princess, Adventurer, Conqueror King, Castles and Crusades, in my mind, it's all filed under that sort of Dungeons & Dragons umbrella. People may agree or disagree with me as they see fit, but that's how I sort of compartmentalize them in my mind. So I think for myself, I didn't so much put it up there as like, yes, I'm running fifth edition, although I did say to people I'm using the fifth edition starter set. But pretty much all I took out of that was the death saves. And as far as I'm concerned, that still clearly makes it Dungeons and Dragons. And I added in a couple of little house rules. But just by removing that one little rule and keeping the core sort of mechanics as they were, it still felt very much like 5th edition D&D, but just with the lethality sort of tweaked upwards ever so slightly, which gave it a little bit more of an OSR sort of feel of danger to me. And so it still seems like 5th edition and certainly Dungeons & Dragons to me. Like I said, I might explore this further in a future episode and People can feel free to call in, agree with me, disagree with me. I'm sure we're all going to have different opinions, but it's definitely a very interesting subject to muse on, and I look forward to doing that in the future. So thank you very much for that call in. And next up, we have a message from Joe of the Hindsightless podcast. So take it away, Joe. Hey, what up, John? It's Joe. And 
Man, dude, that episode that you just put out made me so happy, dude. Like, I love that you were able to get together with goddamn Shandy Andy and Barry and Pete. That, I'm so jealous, dude. I love that. I, this doesn't, I don't want it to sound embarrassing, but I love that you live in a small country so you guys can get together. I just got done hanging out with my face-to-face group, and I hopped on to see who was putting out what, and I heard all you guys getting together in person, and it just made my heart smile. So anyway, dude, I'm glad you had a blast, and I'll talk to you later. Peace out. Thanks very much for that message, Joe. Really appreciate it. And for those of you who aren't aware, Joe's referring to the the small local con that I ran recently, as I've discussed in previous uh, episodes. And a number of the anchorites came down, who are sort of UK-based, to play in those games, including Barry, Shandy Andy, and, of course, Pete Jones from Dragons Are Real. And it was really great to actually get to game with those guys face-to-face. Now, that's not to say anything against online gaming. Most of my gaming's online by necessity, and it really does make things far more convenient. And I can also game with people in different countries, different continents, time zones, etc., which is a great thing that wouldn't have been possible even only like a, a handful of years ago. So I really love that. But it was nice to actually get to meet them in person, shake their hands, sit down, throw some dice together, and have a grand old time. Even though it was only for like a small sort of one-day con, it was really nice of them all to come down and actually playing a game that I was running. So that was really great. It really lifted the whole day for me. And also I got to game with some people who I didn't know at all and some people who weren't new to gaming. So that's always fun as well. And everyone suddenly seemed to have a good time. My only regret, Joe, is, and I say it is an advantage of living in a smaller country that it's easier to get together. My only regret at the moment is that because I'm not particularly well-traveled and I have various transport issues at the moment, it's not possible for me to like travel abroad to these like Gen Cons and stuff like that and meet up with the sort of far-flung people that I game with, which I would really, really love to do. And in fact, I've just found out recently that Johannes Pavela, who runs the Burning Wheel game, I play in and is one of the players in my Midlands game who lives in Finland, is actually coming over to the UK for the UK Games Expo in a few months' time. So it'll be really nice to actually sit down with him in person and do some gaming. And I think if you put everything else to one side, the convenience, the the sort of far-flung wide player group you have access to, the main real benefit for me of gaming online is that you get to make these relationships with people you get to know them and when you do meet up with them it's not like you're meeting a stranger which some people can find a little bit unnerving or a little bit tense it's like you're meeting people you've known for a long time and you get more that vibe that you're sort of like meeting up with old friends that you've not seen for a little bit and that's always a great thing So that's it for this voicemail episode. Thank you to everyone who called in. That was Joe from Hindsightless, Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast, Barry from Shadow of the GM, 
Pete Jones from Dragons Are Real, Arfed, a.k.a. Darren Green, and, of course, at the very start of this episode, Spencer, a.k.a. Free Thrall from the podcast Keep Off the Borderlands. Thank you very much for all your messages, guys. I really do appreciate that. So if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can drop me a voicemail message on Anchor, or you can leave me an email, Red Dice Diaries, or one word, at gmail.com. And if you don't like the minute limit that Anchor imposes on your recordings, you can always record it as an MP3 and send it to me in an email, reddicediaries at gmail.com. So that's it for this episode. Until I see you next time, take care. Whatever games you're playing, have fun, and I'll catch you all soon.